Today's scripture comes from John chapter 5, verses 31 through 47, if you'll turn there with me. The word says, If alone I bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I it's will accuse you pleasure. to the Father. It's always a joy to there be with you. There is one who accuses you. Ah, I find Moses, myself on a different side this on morning. On you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe like me, Mighty for said, he wrote I of me. Do not take this lightly. But if you do not believe his writings, it is humbling. how will you believe my words? Speaking and preaching the word, the word of God of is humbling. And I take that very seriously. So, um, this morning... I want us to continue through the journey that we've been on in, in the Gospel of John. It's been a wonderful journey so far, and I want to pose a question or two to you. Think about it. Why do we struggle to believe in Jesus? What is it that is stopping us from believing in Christ wholeheartedly ponder on those questions as we pray please pray with me Lord Jesus we thank you we thank you that in your mercy and grace you have gifted us with another day we, we acknowledge your sovereignty and lordship over us Father, we pray that this morning as we dive into your word, that you will cause us to know you as you are, to love you supremely and to serve you wholly, and that we can adore you fully. Lord, let us respond to your grace knowing that we do not possess the power to obey you, but that your love alone enables us to serve you. Father, help us to see you 
and know you and believe in you completely. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I asked a couple of questions. And I'm sure you're thinking about them, you're pondering about them. So friend, if you're wrestling with the claims of Christianity, if you, if you are thinking about those things, then it could be that you have lots of questions. You have a list of questions in your mind right now. Maybe you struggle to believe the Bible. You, you, you struggle with Christian hypocrisy. You are uncomfortable with some of the things that the church has done and said. You think that you know exactly what is preventing you from leaning the weight of your life on Jesus. Or, I'm sure some of you are completely not thinking about that. You're not wrestling with any of those questions. But when I say, what is it that is stopping us from believing in Christ wholeheartedly? You say, what is he talking about? Of course I'm a Christian and I believe in, in Christ. The truth is, though we profess our faith and we believe in Christ, our behaviors more often depict otherwise. So we say it aloud, but our behaviors say something else. See if, see if you can identify with any of the following symptoms of unbelief. When we choose to trust in our ability to solve our problems rather than turn to Jesus who is the source of all things and created all things, we are living in unbelief. When we seek to amass for ourselves worldly pleasures rather than seek after him and his righteousness, we are living in unbelief. And when our children do not follow on the Christian walk we've been all our lives and we strive by ourselves to change their behaviors rather than committing them to the Lord who transforms the heart and redeems the soul, we are living in unbelief. And so friends, our actions in so many ways cast doubt on Christ's and Jesus' lordship and sovereignty over our lives. And of course, such questions and doubts are sometimes not obvious. They are even not ones that we would profess aloud for others to hear, but they are very real. Ultimately, the root of the problem lies in our hearts, in something that has gone terribly wrong inside of us. You see, unbelief isn't just a fact, it is a fruit. It's true in every moment and every situation that either faith is present or faith is absent. And that's a fact, but our lack of faith, our unbelief, is also a fruit in the sense that it doesn't crop out of nowhere. Our unbelief does not just pop out out of nowhere. It is the fruit, the inevitable result of our spiritual idolatry. We do not trust Jesus because we are still trusting something else. And that is true. So imagine this. You encounter a man, 
a blind man, and he claims categorically that the color red does not exist. And so you take your time and you decide, okay, I'm going to explain to this guy why the color red exists. You, you talk about the hues, you talk about where you can even see it in nature, and then it hits you. Wait, you can't see color because you're blind. And you explain all of that, and then it suddenly hits you that you are approaching this the wrong way, right? This is the thing. It is not whether the color red exists or it doesn't. Rather, that the man you're trying to convince actually cannot see. He is blind. And the same principle holds true spiritually. Why do we not perceive Jesus as supremely and exclusively worthy of all our tracks? Why do we question that? It is because our chosen idols, the people and things we are clinging to and trusting in, instead of him, Jesus, they completely blind us to the truth and power of Jesus. And that is exactly what is going on in John 5. So in the text that we just read, John brings us along this journey where we take a front row seat to a compassionate conversation Jesus is having with the Jews. The backdrop to this conversation is when um, Jesus performed a miracle at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath. He healed an invalid who has been so for 38 years, and he asks him to pick up his bed and walk. The man, of course, is healed, and he goes about sharing the good news. The Jews see the man carrying his bed on the Sabbath, and they question him as to why he was working on the Sabbath. And they later find out that it was Jesus who had healed him. And that is where we come on the scene where Jesus is having a conversation with them after they've questioned him as to why he is doing such work on the, on the Sabbath. In fact, in chapter 5, verse 6, the scripture says that they sought to persecute him for doing these things on the Sabbath. So Jesus being Jesus, he takes time to speak to them, to explain to them what is going on. You see, they, the Jews, they couldn't bring themselves to accept that Jesus is breaking the norms. Remember the norm that he broke? He spoke to a woman at the wall, a Samaritan woman at that. That's another norm breaking, right? And even equating himself with God the Father. As he declares in chapter 5 and 7, he says that my father is working until now, and I am working, right? And so they sought to kill him for saying that, for making himself equal with the Father. They refuse to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Well, we know this. Unbelief is alive and well in their hearts, but they don't see that as unbelief, do they? They do not see that. They think they are believing the truth, right? Of course, we know who you really are, Jesus. We, we know you. You are, you are just a man like us. You know, why should we trust in a regular guy like you, right? And, and an arrogant one at that. Why, why should we believe you? Of course, Jesus knows the real reason they refuse to believe in him. It has nothing to do with a lack of evidence of the truth of his deity authority. It has nothing to do with that. Instead, it has everything to do with the false gods they are clinging to in their hearts. And so the theme is going, there's something here. It's a hard thing. So Jesus takes a moment, of course, to lovingly explain to them what the real problem is. 
both in their lives back then and, of course, in our lives today. It relates, right? And so if we're to put all of that in one sentence, which is going to be our main point, the thing, that one thread that connects the Jews and us today, what would that be? It is this. The rational evidence is not the root obstacle to faith. Idolatry is. We have enough evidence. Rational evidence is not the root obstacle to faith. Idolatry is. Friends, we don't need more evidence of, or testimony of Jesus' nature, person, and character in order to trust him. We don't. We already have plenty. The true nature of our problem lies within us. It is the idols, the false gods we already are clinging to in our hearts instead of him. So this morning, we're going to just look at just two main points, two points to help us along this journey, to help us to discover why it is so difficult. We find it difficult to believe in Jesus. Point number one. There is an abundance of reliable witnesses to the truth of Jesus. There is a myriad of witnesses, and they are reliable, of course, to who Jesus is. There are so many of them, but we'll focus on three. First witness, John the Baptist. If you look in verse 31, Jesus makes clear that he alone cannot bear witness about himself. It says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. In making such a reference and making such statement, he is not um, only referencing the Old Testament rule that requires two witnesses to establish testimony. But what he's emphasizing, in fact, is that you don't have to take his word for it. There are others, others like John the Baptist, who was sent before him to prepare the way before he comes. And in John 1 from verse 6, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And in John 1, 32, John doubles down on the same testimony. He says, and John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. That is John bearing witness to the person and nature of Christ. And John leaves no doubt in the mind of his audience as to who Jesus Christ is. That was his singular mission. He was a signpost, a faithful witness that God graciously used to confirm the fact that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God, in whom he, the Father, is well pleased. The second witness is Jesus himself and his work. So John is not the only one who bears witness about the truth of Jesus. Jesus himself and his work, the work that he was sent by the Father to do, 
also bears witness to who he is. In verse, 30, verse 36, it says, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And Jesus, of course, himself has spoken extensively about who he is, what he is about, and who has sent him. He died on the cross and carried our sins on himself so we wouldn't have to. And yet, we have not received him or believed his word. John 3.32 says this, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Jesus is telling us that he himself and the work that his father has sent him to do all bear witness to who he is and what he is about. And the works that we're talking about, are he's healing the sick, he brings deliverance to the lost, he redeems us from sin. And these, these works, amongst others, they bear testimony about who Jesus is and the truth of his person. And so now we know that John the Baptist bears witness Jesus and his work. And the third witness is God the Father himself and his word, the scriptures. He says this in verse 37, and the Father who sends me has himself borne witness about me. Jesus is making the point that God the Father bears witness about him because he knows him more than anyone else and understands the work that he has been sent. He has sent him, Jesus, to do on earth. If you look at verse 19 and 20 of chapter 5, he confirms this. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For, what the, for whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Now, Jesus confirms to the Jews that the Father bears witness about him, and he's about the Father's business. Of course, the scriptures, the word of God, also bear witness about Jesus. We know this because God's word says so. Look at verse 39. It says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. It is they, referring to the scripture, that bear witness about who he, Jesus, is. Jesus is underscoring the fact that though they, the Jews, they spend their lives studying the scriptures, they miss the point of the gospel. This is the truth. The study of the scriptures by itself does not necessarily give life. But rather, they point to the only life giver, who is Jesus Christ. It means that when we study God's word, we should, that, that study of God's word should result in obedient action and transformation of life as a result of genuine faith in Christ Jesus. Of course, 
the Jews completely failed to see that the very word of God they've spent their whole life studying actually points to the very Jesus speaking to them in that moment. The message in the scriptures is lost in them. And we ourselves, we are not so different from the Jews. And just like the Jews, we all, we have an opportunity here. If, if, if your faith in Jesus is weak, if you wish you trusted him more than you presently do, you're wondering, what is the remedy? How, how do I deal with this problem we've just listed? How, how should I handle this? What should I do? Well, I'll tell you, here is what you should do. You need to read and study the Bible. Amen. It's simple, yes. but it's deep. It's so important. The word of God is what gives us hope. We need to read it. We need to study it. Do, do not treat it as though it's like a magic pill. You took it once. It didn't work, so you're walking away. No. You need to mire yourself in it. You need to meditate on it day and night and let it saturate your heart and your mind. Why? Because it is through the written word that God the Father strongly declares. He shouts and he proclaims in his word. Here is why Jesus is amazing. It is in his word that he says Jesus is worthy of your trust. And it's through his word that is why faith in Jesus will never be disappointed. Yes. So friends, we've seen this. We've seen witnesses who bear testimony to Jesus' person, to his nature, to his work, and to his character. And all these witnesses are above reproach. They provide us with a roadmap for us to follow, to understand who Jesus is. If we had any doubt regarding Jesus' identity, these witnesses, John the Baptist, Jesus and his own works, and God the Father, they have provided testimony that bears out Jesus' divine nature. And it should help us to know and believe in the truth of the gospel, of who Jesus is. So then, if we have all of these, why do we still not believe? Why do the Jews still question who, is, who Jesus is and the work that he's been sent to do? I can hazard a guess. Maybe it is not that they aren't witnesses. It is not because they don't have evidence. It may be something else completely, something entirely. And that brings us to our point two. The second point, a lack of evidence or witness is not a problem. We are. So it's not because we lack evidence, nor testimonies, nor witnesses. We are the problem. Why? Well, like the Jews, we also have the same proof, right? Of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. But we can't seem to grasp the essence of that massive truth because... We refuse to let go of what we are holding onto in order to receive the gift of the truth of the gospel. 
that truth, which is that Jesus is the one and true Son of God. So to help us understand this deep-rooted problem, we'll consider two sub-points. And the point number two, first sub-point, the evidence about Jesus, it lays bare the idolatry in a hardened heart. This is, this is what that means. We choose other things and other people over Jesus because those things and those people, they serve our needs. And we would rather trust in them and reject him. Look at verse 43. It says, I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. This is Jesus talking. Jesus is saying here that we don't make any fuss about needing more witnesses or evidence when some other teachers come and they make all kinds of, you know, they, they make all kinds of truth claims. But as soon as someone, someone like Jesus himself, comes in the name of God, well, then we need more evidence. We need more witnesses. We need more signs and wonders and miracles to prove that you are who you say you are. Right? What does that reveal when we do that? What does that reveal? It shows that we have a fundamental issue, a problem with the idea of God himself. That is deep. That is strong. But we don't say it aloud. Our heart reveals that. It shows that we would rather not deal with somebody claiming absolute authority over us. The very idea of someone coming in the name of the Father is almost repugnant to us because we want to be our own God. We want to be in control. We tell ourselves that there is not enough evidence and that is why we don't believe. But if we are true to ourselves, in reality, we do not believe because we don't want to believe. We could be presented with the biggest pile of evidence, just as we've seen in the first point. But that would be irrelevant as far as we're concerned because we simply don't want anyone other than ourselves to be God, period. Nobody else. We control our own destiny, right? We do not receive him because we do not believe in him. And our unbelief prevents the truth of the gospel from residing in our heart. Our heart is hardened and we seek after everything else except that which will give us life, which is Jesus Christ. The second issue is this. We seek glory for ourselves and from one another while rejecting the glory that comes from God. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, we do this, we rely on ourselves, right? And we bask in the glory that stems from all our achievements. These things, these achievements, they become our idols because we live in a culture that esteems and glorifies them. Our culture does that. They become our, old, they become our chosen idolatry, effectively blinding us from seeing clearly and objectively and to see who Christ is truly to us, our Savior and Redeemer. 
Look at verse 44. It says, how can we, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from only from the only God. The, the glory God is, or Jesus is talking about here is not the one that two people meet and say, man, you are awesome. And he said, no, 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 you, no, you, you are awesome. No, 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 it's you are awesome. So they go back and forth. That is not the kind of glory we give in adulation to each other. That's not the kind of glory God is talking about. Jesus is talking about this. By using the phrase, receiving glory from one another, one another, Jesus is speaking of the way we cling to the things that are glorious in the eyes of men around us, of course, um, by ourselves, and those things that are affirmed by the world around us, instead of clinging to what, the, what God the Father says is truly glorious, which is his son, Jesus Christ. We make a willful decision to choose other things over God. Things such as our career, academics, our family, our social and economic standing. Now, we run after these things not because they are bad in and of themselves. They are not. But because they become foremost in our lives. They take precedence over God in our lives. And so they become idols. And, and make no mistake, this is the, is the plan of the evil one. It's a scheme designed by the devil to turn us away from God and keep us deep in sin. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 says this, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, in light of all this, what are we to do? How are we to respond? Well, this is what we should do, and I hope we never stop doing we are to seek after the glory that comes from God alone. And you may be asking, what does that mean? What does it mean to seek the glory that comes from only God? How, how do we seek after Jesus? Well, we seek him by striving to know him more and more. We endeavor daily to hold his glory in the front of the eyes of our hearts as it were. And, and by that we mean by meditating on his word. We should yearn for the glory that comes from the only true God. We should yearn for Jesus and seek to know him more and more and to treasure him every day. Amen. We seek him by recognizing that we are sinful and he's not. And he alone is able to redeem us. We seek him by going to him in humility and asking for forgiveness of our sins. And friends, in doing these things, in taking the time to seek after God and seek after Jesus, we make much of him and not us. And his glory, we make much of him and we would walk in obedience and in faith. 
in him alone. So, we've seen that there is an abundance of witnesses, right? John the Baptist, Jesus and his works, and God the Father, and his, his, his witness that is enshrined in his word. But we've also seen that the presence of such witnesses do not necessarily translate into believing in Jesus, does it? It does not. We do not believe in him, not because we lack witnesses who bear testimony to his lordship. Rather, we grapple with a far deeper problem. What is that? It is this, that the greatest obstacle to genuine faith is not a lack of witness, but that which lies in our heart. The greatest obstacle to genuine faith is not a lack of witness, it's not a lack of witness, but that which lies in our heart. It is that deep desire and the need to hold on to all that we celebrate. Those things that add to and increase our worth and glory. In light of that, we can conclude that the problem that prevents us from believing in Jesus is not an evidence problem. It's not a witness problem. It's not a lack of evidence or testimony. It is a worship problem. It is a heart problem. We do not desire or seek glory that comes from God, but rather from man and from each other. We, we, we situate ourselves in a place where everything is linked to what is happening in our heart. And so, friend, this morning, Jesus is calling us just like he did to the Jews. He's taking a moment to have a loving conversation with all of us. He's taking time. He who is God, who is over all things, is taking a moment to talk to us, to have a conversation. He's telling us in his word who he is. We are confronted with the truth of who he is. And this is what he wants us to do. He wants us to trust in him wholly. He wants us to let go of the things that prevent us from seeing him in all his glory. He wants us to let go of the idols that blind us to his true nature so that we can cling to him alone. Well, the thing is we cannot do that by ourselves, can we? So we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to help us do that. We need his power to sanctify us. We need the Holy Spirit to strengthen us so we can seek after him. And the Holy Spirit, he loves us. And he will exercise that power if only we will come to him humbly and cry out to him for help. Friends, if you're here this morning, if you feel like you're in that place, you're in a place you can't seem to let go, 
You can't seem to let Jesus come in into your life and take control. Please do not leave here without asking Jesus to help you. Please do not leave here without crying to the Holy Spirit to strengthen you, to help you seek after Jesus. I'm sure there are people here in this room who would be glad to pray with you. If you find yourself struggling, having those questions that we talked about at the beginning, please do not walk out without asking for help, asking the Holy Spirit to help you. I'm sure there are people here who would gladly pray with you. I'll be one of those. Please come and see me. I'll be happy to pray. See Chris, Josh, and Matthew, or any other person you're comfortable with praying to pray for you if you need that. Ask him, ask Jesus for faith to believe in the truth, the truth that we know for sure that is enshrined in his word. And it is this, that Jesus Christ is indeed the son of God who was sent to redeem and to restore us unto himself. That is what would help us to believe. That is what would root out that obstacle that prevents us from believing. Please pray with me. Dear God, we thank you for the revelation we have received through your word this morning. We thank you that you sent your son to come into this world to accomplish your work that you set before him. Father, we pray this moment asking that you help us to see you beyond the things that will blind us. Father, that you'd help us to see who Jesus is in our lives. Lord Jesus, we ask that you make, you take away those things that have become idols in our lives and have taken your place in our hearts, Lord. We ask that you forgive us where we have not loved you as we should and have followed others. Holy Spirit, we ask that you sanctify us and help us to see Jesus in all his glory so that we can let go of everything in order to make him the king of our hearts. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.